Hi, I'm Adam Rose. I am the creator of Corollary. It is a four-issue miniseries coming out through SourcePoint Press. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at AdamRose74 or on Instagram at ShazamCap. And you're watching Two Geeks Talking. Good morning, afternoon, evening, everyone. Two Geeks Talking is an entertainment industry interview show where we interview the creative people from the comic, film, TV, movie, and video game industries. Of course, I'm your host, Kurt Sasso. We are joined today by a very talented comic creator and writer and all-around amazing person in his own right. Uh, he's a, a good friend of Raylan Grant as well, who was on the show in the past, too. And we'll ask about a couple of stories about him and Raylan and how they met and all the other stuff. We are talking with the ever-talented Adam Rose, creator of Corollary. How are you doing today? Hello, I'm great. And yes, indeed, do I have some <laughs> wild stories when we do want to talk about Raylan and myself. I might surprise you by one of our Part of our origin story. We'll, we'll save that for, for a little later sure. on here. But for those that don't know anything about yourself as a creative person, of course, what are you bringing to Two Geeks Talking today? So as you already mentioned, I, I'm a writer, a comic book writer, but I write other types of prose as well. Um, but in particular right now, what I've been beyond excited about and been working my butt off on for the last gosh, over four years as far as the whole process from start to finish. And that's Corollary, which is a science fiction fantasy epic romp four-issue miniseries that's out with uh, SourcePoint Press. Uh, issue three came out this past Wednesday. Issue four is going to be coming at us July 20th, and that's the, the final issue of the arc. I say that because could it go on? It sure could. But is it a uh, satisfying story in these four issues? 100%. Oh, nice. I, I love that. Uh, Sci-fi epics are always amazing because it lets you kind of explode your imagination yeah. and tell amazing stories that have no real rules, per se, other than that it's in sometimes in space, sometimes with laser guns. 100 million percent. And, you know, I'm glad you touched on that because I have been a comic book person since I was a little kid, since the first time my grandfathers got me comics at a local store. And those two did not know Teen Titans from the X-Men, but they just somehow knew that this was going to be great for me. Yeah, no, as far as this story and just the whole genre of science fiction, and I say science fiction fantasy, and maybe initially I didn't realize that's what I was blending on my own, just thought, thought science fiction, but enough people pointed out to me that there's, and I definitely would say I'm heavily influenced. I remember as also like watching, uh, you remember the animated film, uh, Heavy Metal? Oh yeah. So, you know, that is, I think in a way a, a blending of epic fantasy and science fiction. Why do I say that? Because like my main character, I mean, Andromeda and cast, they sometimes suit up in what looks like something straight out of Conan the Barbarian, <laughs> but they're in space and are they simultaneously in the first issue. They are on their way to a planet, or Andromeda is on her way to a planet to um, talk about the fact that she has somehow survived the twin death because that is the, pre the initial premise of this whole story in this it's a galaxy of twins, predominantly twins, of all shapes and sizes from aliens to human, to planets, everyone has a twin. And if your twin dies, so do you. Wow. And somehow, some way, Andromeda has escaped this twin death and the galaxy wants to know how and why. 
And on her way to an engagement to talk about it, she happens to have to save uh, two dinosaur, floating dinosaur dragons with cities on their backs uh, because uh, one's giving birth. I kind of think that in itself kind of gives us that that fantasy sci-fi blend. And as you said earlier on, it's in this genre, you you have permission to just say yes to everything and anything. And I would say that as well, like yes to that in the genre, but also just in the realm of getting to create comic books. I mean, there, you know, what's the budget? Yes. Oh, don't get me, you know, we could have a whole like conversation, I'm sure you have about the whole like just getting like indie comics out there and whatever but what i'm talking about as far as budget compared to like you know any giant film that's like hundreds of millions of dollars because of all the special effects we can do that all we can say yes to everything there's no like oh geez i don't know if we can have um a giant uh, city on top of a dinosaur in space that's going to be too hard for our cgi guys to get to get their minds around and we already have it budgeted for this laser uh, shooting scene. That's not an issue. You know, at its heart too, I, will, I just gotta back up here and say, with all the bombastic action, with all the epic like science fiction moments in this story and the planet hopping, galaxy hopping, you name it, at its heart, it's about family too. I mean, it's about this person figuring out who they are um, what is their relationship to their family? What does family mean to them? And I think right now that is, you know, such a important subject matter because the definition is evolving and flowing for everyone. Good science fiction makes sure to have touchstone moments that do connect to the real world, to the here and now. I mean, I've just gotten into Star Trek Discovery Oh, yeah. I was, um, you know, I was a huge Trek person from for a long time ago, and I hadn't tried these new shows because I don't know what was the last one that kind of just didn't do it for me. Maybe it was Enterprise. That was a long time ago. People kept telling me for the last three years, you got to try Discovery. You got to try it. And I tried it and it's great. And some people are complaining. Social media has its beautiful parts and its very ugly parts. And I guess we're seeing that more than ever uh, in the recent news uh, this week. I guess you know, people complain about it being like too woke or something, which is absurd because Star Trek in the 60s was an outcry of social issues. I mean, it's just amazing to me how people are, have these blinders on about what something should be. I mean, you can not like a story. You can not like some acting. That's fine. But don't like kind of accuse something of being too politicizing or whatever. That's absurd. Like science fiction goes there and always has gone there. And I'm not saying corollary does a lot. It's not heavy handed or anything, but I guess just back to my original point about it really being about this character and their relationship to their sister, to their family and to the rest of the universe and how they're navigating their sense of self. Like who are they? And what does it mean to be an individual versus part of something larger. Fandoms are fickle, plain and simple. I mean, it doesn't matter what it is, Star Trek, Star Wars, you know, yeah. my, my Little Pony for that matter, whatever sure. the case may be. The ability to sit behind a keyboard to say whatever's on your mind, whether it's right or wrong, is an empowering aspect and sometimes for the wrong reasons completely. And the fact that between everything that's been occurring currently as well as in the past, and, and I'm sure things that will happen in the future we're not aware of just yet, it's either going to get better because people want change or it's going to 
be worse because people want to stick with what they know and love. Well said. No, that, 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 that's exactly it. Corollary, <laughs> you were just talking about how, how do we say yeah. it. I also hope it's it's an escape. It's it's a permission to just like have your mind's technicolor vision come to life and everything sparkles and crackles. And I got to talk about the artist, Rob Ahmad. Mm-hmm. Um, he's out of England. We got paired up uh, through another artist that I was just talking to here in the States. And they said, you know, you should pitch this to him. I did. Uh, I was nervous too because he, you know, he was definitely in demand at that point. He was busy with a couple of projects already, uh, and then he we started out with this actually. Um, I mean, I had the whole thing written as a four issue th- series, but I, my initial idea was like, well, let's start slow with this. Or I am a big fan of in England, 2000 AD, uh, and they and they do like a Future Shock series, which are these like little four page comics. So we tried kind of making it a, a, like an initial kind of chapter of it like that. And in fact, when the collected graphic novel is uh, brought out, you'll get to see that original little mini story in the back of this graphic novel version of Corollary. And that comes out uh, end of September. I don't know if it's kosher for me to be promoting the graphic novel before the series is over, but I just did it. So we, we kind of played around with that and his style was very cerebral, I think mm-hmm. is the best way for me to put it at that point. We just decided, you know what, this needs to be just bombastic and larger than life in every way. And he kind of then went back to page one and we have what we have now, which is, and I say, I don't say this lightly because I know a lot of people feel like this is like, you know, to compare, I think Rob has a similarity in style to like Batman animated series to some degree. There's that, that quality is there, I think, and the fun that that brings. And not only that, we both decided to experiment with he watercolored by hand the, the first three issues. And I say that because, I, you know, it would be, I, you know, I could kind of white lie and say that he did all four, but painstaking work, gorgeous work. But by the end of the third issue, which took a long, long time, uh, we went to a digital uh, colorist who was able to mimic his watercoloring. So you won't see the difference in the fourth issue. At least I don't, I don't think you will. This watercoloring style. In fact, I think I sent you a page that is an original page um, that I just took a picture of, of without the lettering of DC Hopkins, who's someone else I should definitely be mentioning here. So Rob, he just did some incredible work on this. And the growth of, you know, we started this together after I like spent a year writing and polishing like we've been together on this for like, like for, it was like three years. Like it was started before the pandemic and then just back and forth notes from me, notes back from him, clarifying this and making it what it is that's now on its third issue this week. And yeah, I, I couldn't be happier or prouder of what, what we came up with or, or the work Rob did. When you started putting this script together when and writing it out here what was the hardest part for you was it the beginning the middle or the end for this entire series great question um and that changes for all the different things i write i think for this one the hardest part was the beginning because of just making sure there's certain major character revelations toward at the end of this first issue in hand with that challenge is dc hopkins lettering And that's something else. I don't think letterers get enough credit for the artistry of their craft, because if it wasn't for DC really being clear and distinct with who is talking when, 
with this concept behind corollary being vital that we are understanding who's speaking when. So we find out by the end that it turns out Andromeda's sister, technically her body died, but they were able to save her brain. And now they are sharing a body. They take turns. Uh, one is in the body and the other is the then the ship's AI. Well, of course, not really AI, more like organic AI. But they also find out something major in this third issue about this back and forth that they're trying to navigate. That's a huge dilemma for them. And that, as far as my writing, I wanted to make sure was as clear as humanly possible. And that took making sure I understood who is Andromeda, who is Cass. They have to have a distinct difference in their takes on lives and how they interact with one another. Getting that those voices as clear as I could in the first issue probably was the hardest thing because and then once I had that, the action and those two characters really took over for me. I, I'm the kind of writer that when I'm really invested in a story, uh, the characters really do just run the show for me. And then, yeah, of course, the revision time is painstaking and whatnot, but once I know who they are, I'm able to just kind of let go of the reins a little bit. They bring it bring it to me. And this really happened uh, once that first issue and who they were and what was what was their kind of their headbutting and their loving together connection. I, I've heard this often, and it's amazing to see that a lot of creative people say that the characters speak to them. If you haven't written a story or if you haven't invested time into your craft as as a, a writer or creative person in that regard, I think people just think it's as a, a common sentence of an eccentric person. Well, yeah, you know, that's a good point. And I guess the only thing I'd add to my kind of trajectory with writing, I've been writing since high school and college, but I was also doing a lot of uh, sketch comedy. I was That was my other passion. Still is. I'd love to get back to it someday. But sketch comedy, like I, I did some time with the Groundlings, uh, Upright Citizens. Yeah, I live out in Los Angeles. I lived in New York City before that. I did a lot of live sketch. And, you know, that that required acting, but also a lot of writing, like creating characters. So not only was I writing these characters back then uh, for little three or five minute scenes, but I was also having to embody them or watch somebody in my sketch comedy group take on some character that I created. And, you know, with sketch comedy, at least hopefully good sketch comedy or good groups, there's also improvisation and good writing and creating good characters in a way I, for me, is improv. I mean, yeah, it's, it's pen to paper, but I'm letting the characters kind of take over, like I said, and that is a form. I mean, maybe that's not accurate. I don't know, but that's how I interpret some of the process I go through. And I think if I didn't have the background that I do in all my years of getting to do improvisation and sketch comedy, I wouldn't be writing the way I do now. I, I mean, it, it does go hand in hand. The energy into your creative tasks are sometimes difficult, sometimes they're energizing. And it sounds like to me, at least, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you love writing energizes you as a creative person. 100%. And I can't, I'm like a shark. I mean, I can't, uh, okay, corollary is done. I'll just focus on marketing and putting the word out on this. I've already um, finished uh, another um, mini series script that I'm, I think I'm, knock on wood, we're getting going with uh, this wonderful artist, uh, by the name of Magenta King, 
Uh, he's actually got a, a series out called Jenny Zero with Dark Horse right now. So we're getting going on that. Corollary is a little more on the YA kind of realm. I mean, there is violence in it. I'm not saying this is suitable for an eight-year-old, but 10 to our age and beyond, absolutely. But yeah, there is some violence in Corollary. This next series, uh, mini-series or graphic novel I've got is more uh, of the true detective level of R rating. It's a kind of horror uh, mystery noir. But uh, yeah, I can't, I got to keep creating, uh, or at least when I have these like, big ideas that just I, my, my passion, as you brought up, is getting be straight behind. Uh, and I'm also proud to say I have a short story, a prose short story that um, I can now say is coming out um, from Pilgrimage Press. They're a literary press from uh, Colorado State University. So I have a short story in their next journal uh, coming out, I think, this summer or fall. Well, I guess one other thing I could tell you about down the road here, I did get the chance, uh, Corollary is going to open some interesting doors. And I just finished work on a script, a bio comic about Reba McIntyre. Oh, and nice. that is hopefully going to be coming out in October. And then way past that, I don't know if I should even bring this up now, but writing a script was amazing and getting hired to do something like that was amazing. I got to write a bio comic about David Grohl. Sweet. Yeah. So though I don't really, I don't have official like notices of when they're coming out and all, but that is something that is out in the ether and the artists have it. And, and I'm excited that the opportunity came well, we'll have to have you back on for like a musical segment of of Reba and David Grohl. I would love that. It was a whole different vibe too, like bio comics. And it's funny because I do have this other like passionate passion. There's this folk rock blues guy from the early 70s. If any of those genres hit you, even if they don't, I'm telling any listener out there, anyone, I don't care who you are. Try this guy. He's obscure, but his story, I mean, I'm almost like don't want to share him because I, I really do want to get the chance to write kind of a mixture, like a fiction blend of and real life of this person named Jim Sullivan. Um, long story short, he like kind of want he was fascinated by UFOs and he even wrote an album called UFO. And then he told his wife and kid in Malibu, you know what, I'm going to go to Nashville to see if I can make it there because his records didn't take off in California or where, I don't know, he wanted, he thought maybe Nashville, he made it as far as near Area 51 and he just disappeared. So that's just my quick pitch on Jim Sullivan. <laughs> yeah, that that's a completely different episode whatsoever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm throwing a lot at you, Kurt. The art's beautiful and yeah, talented artist that, that you have for sure. But when you gave the script and you got the art back, what was a scene that you wrote down that looked way better in in the art form than it did on the page? Oh, wow. Um, that would have to be the work people are opening up to in issue four, which was Guardians of the Galaxy meets Infinity War epic battle characters that get introduced in the end of issue three and in issue four that are a huge important part what's the most misunderstood aspect when you tell someone that you're a writer that maybe isn't in the industry well i would say in the comic book world i what i've come across a lot from people like friends and family that want to support and I think this is like a bigger comment too, but like, you know, you have to kind of 
educate people on what is a floppy 22 page comic versus a graphic novel. A lot of them don't know the difference and that's legitimate. If you're not a regular comic book reader or writer for that matter, and there are a lot of people out there, they, they want to, I think they're intimidated. And you know, I also teach graphic novels and whatnot. And I try, I start right away with talking about the distinction. So I would say that right there, and even just the basics of, okay, so how do I get your comic? I just go into the store and pick one up. Well, that might be true and easy if this is Marvel or DC, but you know, indie comic publishers, it's, you got a, a couple extra steps. So, you know, even talking, a lot of people never been to their local comic book stores. It's a smaller, you know, insular world. We want it to get bigger. And I hope, I'm optimistic that with all this explosion of Marvel and DC in the world, not in like manga just make, taking over as well, both in anime and, you know, you know, all of a sudden we have like a live action One Piece coming soon and they're rebooting Avatar as a live action series. So, so I feel like there's a lot of doors opening, even more people are gonna be coming into the shops. And that, cause the comic book shop owner, like my local guy, his name's Ace at Comics vs. Toys and Eagle Rock, incredible guy, always up for me to do a signing, super supportive, especially through the pandemic, like hanging in there, it's a challenge. So I guess back to your original question, just people understanding what is a 22 page floppy comic book versus what's a graphic novel versus what's a mini series versus if they want to get something digitally, there's just a lot going on there that people aren't going to know off the bat or, or even, you know, what is a pull list? So, you know, I have people that, well, I got issue one, no problem, but I had to challenge getting issue three. Well, the, the store was out of it. Well, did you tell them you wanted the series? Like you got it, it has to be spelled out. That's a learning situation. I'm just aware that just because I've been getting comics at my local comic book stores, since I could get a ride from my parents till today, every Wednesday. And yes, I know now it's Tuesdays too, because it's a DC or Marvel or both of them that have gone to different distributors. And that's a whole other thing. Like who cares about that kind of thing other than people that are in the industry and love comics the way we do. I mean, I don't, my parents are not gonna be like, oh, you mean DC's now Tuesdays and I better write that down. I mean, that's just crazy. There's a lot to explain and you can't get frustrated with what people don't know. It's like anything that's that's new that people don't understand. They they have to know the basics in order to understand the culture that comes around the medium that they're trying to engage in. Right on. And I think the comic book medium is one of the most amazing creations of uh, the United States. I mean, I say that because you know, it kind of came up around the same time as jazz. Mm. Uh, and yeah, I mean, and then similarly coming up in the East with, with manga. And then of course, every, all the European comics, it just, it's, but it, it's a beautiful art form. And I think it does make sense that it did kind of explode onto the scene at the same time that jazz did. I mean, if you look at the parallels of the art forms, there's a lot to say like that. What happens in the gutters of your panel to panel, that is jazz. That is getting in your reader's brain and letting them riff. You could have a character like flying with a jetpack in space. And then in the next panel, they got like hit by some blast of energy from this giant hairy uh, looking toad. And you filled in their mind what that hairy toad shot them with in that gutter. It's amazing. 
that goes back to um, you know comics like Buck Rogers and everything like that, where you know you're you're looking or Flash Gordon for that matter, or the sci-fi that a lot of us are either revisiting now or or grew up on way back when. So, and of course Star Wars and Star Trek as well, among I'm sure thousands of others that we're not quite aware of that are popular in other countries. It's the the different abilities to be flexible in in the medium of comic books because i think comic books next to well comic books are probably the most flexible medium there is because you you have the only limit is the amount of pages and your imagination i think that's right no and i will say this source point press was really cool with me because i kind of begged and they didn't put up a stink a couple of issues are more than 22 uh, in fact, issues three and four are 24 and 25 pages. So I did cheat a little bit on that. Could I have kept it a tight 22? Yes. But the fact that they said, yes, we want you to go big, go big. And I just added to the story, literally and just figuratively. We haven't talked about Sourcepoint Press yet. And of course, they're an amazing publisher out of out of Detroit, out of Michigan, I should say. I'm familiar with a lot of their uh current stable of people, uh, Dirk Manning, among others as well, too. And and I believe Raylan Grant uh, in that yeah. regard as well, too, just because my memory is horrible right now. How did they approach you or you approach them regarding Corollary? It was a courtship. It was pre-pandemic. I, I had a graphic novel come out through Marcosia Press. They're in a British press uh, called Playground Attack of the Girl Robots, which was a not just all ages, but like a middle grade graphic novel about a kid who's on the playground and every childhood game he plays is real. Like he gets, if he plays freeze tag, he can freeze you. If he plays Simon Says, you're compelled to do what he wants. And I, so I had this in hand because it had been out for about a year and I met uh, some of the people uh, at SourcePoint at their booth. I believe it was at um, LA Comic-Con, uh, like the year before the pandemic. And I told them about that. I, want, I had some other stories that I wanted to pitch. I gave them a copy of Playground just to show them what I've been up to. And they said, yeah, you know, send us what you got when you're, you got some pages with your artist. It sounds like a cool idea. And that's um, where it started. Once uh, Rob had the pages ready, like those first eight pages, um, they source point like Josh and Cameron, they were like, they were all over it. They were totally supportive and they were great with the feedback and they gave me permission too. like, but you know, when they saw those watercolors for the first time, I was like, oh yeah, I think this could be a different way to go. And they were like all aboard. They're like, yeah. And initially I was like, well, maybe just only certain times where their, you know, their mood is a certain way. And they were like right there, like, no, let's go all in on this. This is unique. This is not being done. And it, it just worked for the story. It sounds like they're giving you the flexibility to be as creative as you need to be while still being a consistent publisher that they are. You know, the fact that they let me break that 22 page rule in two of the issues was, was awesome. Uh, early on, they got me some um, great interviews for it. The first issue even came out. They had a lot of advice as far as, just make, you know, getting the word out myself. And they were very like, you know, they're always ready to like just social media wise blast information out. And they are just um, juggernauts as far as going to cons. I think they are at one right now, but they are just chugging along it all over like the Midwest, South, Southeast, you name it. And I'm hoping, knock on wood, to get up to uh, Emerald Con in Seattle. I've never been to it, 
Um, but I'd love to get to be there. And I think they are going to have a booth up there. And issue four will have been out by, for a while then, as well as announcing uh, the collected graphic novel edition with all the bonus material. It's impressive. Like I've been loving, like I, and you brought up Ryland. I mean, I've been loving his, his work out of there. Suicide Jockeys. Um, it's oh, just yeah. been a lot of fun. And he, we live in the same neighborhood. And I, you know, my comic book shop owner, Ace, kind of introduced us. And Ryland's just been amazing about meeting for coffee uh, or social distance at that time when we first got to know each other. You asked, like, you know, before we got on on this, what's, a, you know, any stories about meeting? And well, I'll tell you. So very early in us knowing each other, after he was incredibly generous with his advice and whatnot, my son goes to the local dojo. He's in karate and he's already uh, an adult purple belt. He's only 12 and Ryland decided he wanted to get back into karate. I think he's been doing martial arts. And my son's been, for the last couple of years, saying, Dad, you should try it with me. And so I, and Ryland's like, yeah, you should. And he was there that day, and he was beyond excited to spar with me. And I didn't know that would be happening. You know, Kurt, here's the thing. Uh, this was an intense experience for me because... All of a sudden, here I am with a guy that I'm friends with. You know, I'd say, yes, at this point, we're more than acquaintances. He is not holding back um, with like, you know, like we have our pads on. I mean, I wasn't getting like hurt, but I haven't been like punched since I was 10 or something, you know, or I don't know. I mean, I just, as a, here I am, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm like in like 10 minutes of sparring with another adult grown man. <laughs> knows what they're doing and it was I mean the afterwards my adrenaline I was like both nauseous I, I I couldn't sleep that night the next day I hurt in places I didn't know were possible to hurt yeah you know this kind of actually connects to what you were talking about is just what does it mean to be a writer or just any kind of artist like I think when exploring things that are out of your comfort zone yeah. you got to keep doing it there's no age limit on that and this was that for me Am I going to do it again? Yes. I saw, I promised my son that um, I would go back to the dojo, but am I scared of getting hurt? Yes, I am. <laughs> it, it was wild. And yeah, Ryland did not, uh, he, maybe he would say he was gentle with me. I don't know, but he definitely got some good shots in. And I don't know if I got any shots in. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll ask him next time he's on. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the point system regarding your, your sparring match with Adam there? <laughs> I'll, I'll ask that question. Yeah, please do. Please do. <laughs> uh, no, for me, it was, um, I did about 10 years of Japanese jiu-jitsu. So a lot of throws and punches and kicks and oh, everything nice. like that. So I, I love, I love it. Um, I'll have to go back. My sensei is out of Nova Scotia. So I have to, I have to head up that way and, and kind of get back into it. But um, there's nothing like it. I mean, you're, you're active in, in not only spiritually in a sense, yeah. uh, but mentally you, you kind of reset yourself if you have had a bad day or whatever. And, and it kind of gets you focused in on, you know, what's, what's the task in front of me rather than, you know, what's all this noise in the background that, you know, I, I I'm worrying stupidly over. You know? No, I couldn't agree more. Like, that's why I really do think I'm going to, I'm going to give it a real chance. Uh, and I'm just going to, you know, I'll, I'll back off if I feel like I'm about to have my pinky broken. <laughs> Well, because as long as you have your other eight, nine fingers working, I think that works out, right? You can still tell. Right. 
<laughs> yeah, I, social media. Rylan, he was great about a lot of advice and just, you know, putting me in touch with you was beyond appreciative. I'm like really honored to be, get to be on your show. And he was just great about telling me about, you know, just in like our Los Angeles area, reaching out to certain shops about signings and, and getting the word out to different stores across the country or, you know, the value in like cold calling people and all that stuff. So he still continues to be someone uh, that has been a huge resource for me. Next question I have here is what was an early experience where you learned that language had power? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um, I guess I have like the first thing that comes to mind, this project. And at the, at the time, it's, it felt like the most tedious middle school project you could imagine. And I feel like today kids would look at you as if that was barbaric. But my seventh grade, 